1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDSE. Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 226 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. In today's episode, Justin talks about the coming Big Ten football season with Dustin Shooty, managing editor at Saturday Tradition, an outlet dedicated to covering Big Ten football. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at HuskerPod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for the latest deals, cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know somebody who is? Hit up Monty at 402-770-3356. We
2: are really excited to welcome Dustin Schuette back to the show. Dustin is the managing editor at Saturday Tradition and a prolific tweeter who we enjoy following. Dustin, welcome back.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on, Justin. It's always a lot of fun to be on this show.
2: So uh, we got you here to talk about kind of Big Ten coming out of spring football. And I guess my first question is, I, I don't even know, is, is everybody done with spring practice considering how late it all went?
0: Yeah, right now, I think you've got 13 teams that are done right now. And and you've got Rutgers who was dealing with the COVID-19 issue that forced them to delay. So right now, uh, and they'll go into mid to late. I can't remember exactly the date of the spring game off the top of my head. But I know that they're going mid to late May because of that COVID-19 issue. So 13 teams have wrapped up. Obviously, you know, you started really early with Purdue, I think going, they were the first and they were um, starting in February, and I believe they were done by early to mid March, uh, and then obviously you had, um, you know, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Iowa kind of wrapping up on that first weekend in May, and then like I said, you got Rutgers going on still. Uh, so it was kind of scattered. It was kind of nice to have the, the the difference between the different teams in in that in their designated uh, spring practice schedule, if you will. But yeah, we're we're getting close to wrapping up
2: yeah I suppose someone like you who who kind of has a bird's eye view covering all the teams like that, that that is nice to spread it out like that
0: yeah, it is really nice, um and especially when you get so many uh, different spring game dates i remember I, I remember a few years ago, maybe 2018-19, when it seemed like uh you know twelve or thirteen of those games were all on the same two weekends, and it's just i don't want to say it's a nightmare, but it is it is troublesome to try to cover all those games and get your analysis out. This, you know, with, with games on Monday night, on Friday nights, spring open spring practices, a couple of spring games on May 1st, a couple on April 17th and 24th, um, we were really able to get out more content and really kind of dive into some of those spring games and, and make more uh, reasonable and, and logical analysis rather than just kind of a rapid reaction over seeing, you know, 10 or 15 plays per spring game. So it sure. was a very nice change, and I don't know that it's here to stay, but, I can tell you, as someone who covers all 14 teams, if, I'm not going to complain if we only have two or three spring games each weekend moving forward, because that was that was a really nice uh, benefit and unintended consequence. But uh, from that schedule and from the delays from the pandemic and everything, but I, I really enjoyed it, and I'd be curious to know for, from a Big Ten, you know, fan perspective, if if they enjoyed it too, or if uh, it was just kind of a typical spring. Huh. Well, I would
2: say, you know. From a global perspective, certainly not a, a very atypical spring um, just with all that's going on. And honestly, that probably affected my my interest in following college football this spring. I was just eager to check out, I guess, and focus on getting through life um, kind of the last few months. But, you know, if it were a normal year, I think I would have eaten that up, you know, like spring games on Saturdays, different teams each week. Um, yeah, it, it seems like a really nice deal. But just given the weirdness of the last year, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't in tune with it. Um, so, so as you had the chance to kind of view all you know, 13, Rutgers doesn't even count really, but uh, what uh, you have any, any big picture takeaways from, from the big 10, from, from where we're headed for this fall?
0: Yeah. And, You know, there were some things that I liked, some things I didn't like. Um, And, you know, remember, not every team was on Big Ten Network or had a spring game. You know, you look at uh, Purdue and Michigan and some of those teams uh, didn't really have anything that they put on. Iowa had some open practices, but they didn't have a traditional spring game. Same with Northwestern. So there's some teams you can't quite get a good gauge on because they weren't broadcast live. You just kind of have to go off of what you saw on Twitter or Facebook or highlight reels or, or things like that. So mm-hmm. it's always difficult to get a good assessment, but some of the things that really stuck out to me, and, and I'm sure this will be a shocker, but Ohio state still looks really good. Sure. Uh, and it, it can be tough to tell that from a thud practice, but what I saw from the offensive playmakers, I mean, those three quarterbacks that they have uh, CJ Stroud, uh, uh, Kyle McCord and, and Jack Miller, all three of those guys, they could walk into probably nine or 10 Big Ten locker rooms and they would be the starting quarterback on day one. Uh, That's just how good that room is. That's how loaded that is. I think C.J. Stroud, you can't say that he's going to pick up where Justin Fields left off because Justin Fields is going to go down as one of the best Ohio State quarterbacks I think we've ever seen. But I think he's got enough weapons there when you look at that wide receiver room. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to be probably the best wide receiver combination in the country next season. And then you look at, at Mecca Agbuka who's a newcomer, you look at Julian Fleming, who's a sophomore, and then you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. Some of those guys stepped up. So I think this offense has a chance to be one of the most explosive um, that Ohio State has had. Uh, I looked at the uh, Nebraska spring game, and and I was really – I am optimistic about what I saw from the offensive line in the running game standpoint. And again, it's generally hard to tell, but when when you do that thud practice, that thud scrimmage like Nebraska did in that first half, Usually that, that paves the way to, to set up your passing attack, to see what you're going to get out of your wide receivers and your quarterback. And certainly we saw that be the heavy focus, but there was also a lot of designed runs. There were a lot of handoffs and pitches to the running backs. And, you know, the, the running backs were picking up three or four yards before they were even being touched by the defense. And mm-hmm. for that to be the case, uh, you know, so you assume that if you're not even getting touched after the three or four yards, you're probably going to get on most plays, seven, eight yards, if not more. So I was really encouraged by that. And uh, I still think Adrian Martinez has some room to grow. He still had some questionable decision-making, but this is a team that I think improved on its playmakers um, in the offensive and defensive lines. They've obviously got what nine returning starters from the defense last season. I know Will Honus is down with an injury, so that Mm -hmm. limits him a little bit, but you look at, uh, uh, You have Ben Steele and and Jojo Domon and and Cam Taylor-Britt. You got the best player, basically, from all three levels of the defense coming back. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, So it's going to be really important and impressive. Uh, or It was impressive to see those guys in the spring game. It's going to be really important for them to have a big year next season. Uh, And then the last thing, you know, two really quick things here on Illinois. I thought that they looked really good under Brett Bielema. Same thing as Nebraska. I thought the the point of attack, the line of scrimmage looked a lot better, which is what you see under a Brett Beal in the coach team. Brandon sure. Peters looked really comfortable when he had time to throw. Uh, and then Minnesota, again, same thing with the offense. Uh, this is going to be a really good offensive league, by the way, next season. Uh, Minnesota, I thought Tanner Morgan looked great. Chris Altman bell looks ready to replace Rashad Bateman. I mean, he looked incredible, making some big catches in that game. Uh, and you got Daniel Falalele and and Curtis Dunlap back on the offensive line. Minnesota has the potential to have the second best offense in the Big Ten next season based on what I saw behind Ohio State, and and I truly believe that Mo Ibrahim wasn't even on the field, and that offense looked really good. So I think from an offensive standpoint, Minnesota is going to be really tough to beat. Defensively, I wasn't impressed. I know that they had some guys transferring in, and, and they had some guys that didn't play in that game, but at the same time my big question for Minnesota is not offensively they're going to be able to put up a lot of points can you keep opponents out of the end zone and that might be the difference between a 7 and 5 season and, a, and another you know 11 and 2 season do you see a clear
2: leader in the west or a couple leaders in the west
0: yeah i, I, I can't i can't say that i do because it's so you know It kind of changes every day for me. You know, my Hmm. thought on who's going to win the West changes just about as frequently as I change my socks, right? (laughs) Uh, Because I look at Wisconsin and what they have back defensively, and and you get Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor back on offense at at your wide receiver positions, and I think that's going to help Graham Mertz substantially next season. And obviously he's got now a full season or quote-unquote a full season under his belt and a full spring under his belt. You got Iowa, who's always good at the line of scrimmage, and they've got some. They got Tyler Goodson, who's going to be one of the better running backs. Spencer Patris uh, is going to be in his second year as a starting quarterback. He needs to take a big step up, but you have a great linebacker and secondary linebacker core and secondary at Iowa, so they can make a run. You look at Northwestern, you see that they lost a ton of talent, but you can never count out the fighting Fitzgeralds. I mean, that's a team that nobody yeah. would have thought when- three and nine to big 10 West champs last season and they did it. So you always figure they're going to be in the race. Uh, and then, you know, Minnesota, again, that's a team that I think has the potential to be a really good team this season, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So they could squeak in there. Um, I think Purdue, Nebraska, and Illinois, I, I think those three teams are fighting for bull contention. I'm not saying they can't be in the big 10 West race. I just don't think when you look at those other four teams, and how, how much talent those four teams have on both sides of the ball. I don't think that Purdue, Nebraska, and Illinois are quite that balanced. I think that they need to be shooting for somewhere in the six to eight or nine win range, uh, but I, I don't think that those three teams are going to challenge for the Big Ten West. But this is a loaded division. It's a really well-balanced division, and I'll say this. I think any team, any of those seven teams in the Big Ten West can beat each other on any given Saturday. Back, back on Nebraska
2: for a second, we've – here locally talk a lot about wide receiver and several of the leading receivers left this last year. I'm a a captain uh, as well as the statistical leader in a a number of categories. Um, What are your thoughts on the improved, whether it's improved or not the the wide receiver room this year?
0: Yeah, I know Scott Frost is big on it. I mean, he said, you know, the speed is really good right now. and, And he believes that this is the best wide receiver group that he's had since he's been there so I think that that is promising I saw there's some still some question marks to me and obviously I'm not there every day and it's hard to gauge I think I think the other thing that's important to remember too is is these players during that spring game were playing in front of a crowd of what 35,000 or something around that that and and you're talking about kids who last year played in front of no fans or you know maybe Mm -hmm. max 2,500 something along those lines so I think that that maybe got the nerves up a little bit you're talking about going a full season without having any fans and then all of a sudden you see that sea of red back inside memorial stadium i'm sure there were some jitters there so i saw some drop passes i I didn't see um quite the the passing attack that i wanted to see out of nebraska but at the same time it's it is a spring game uh i do think that they have some deep ball capability this year and that's been one thing that's kind of lacking you know you look at Twitter for, ne- for Nebraska uh, during the season, and it's a lot of complaints about the swing passes and you know not getting into the end zone and the red zone. I think that they're going to have that ability. I think they're going to have that ability to stretch the field this season. Uh, you just have to have some wide receivers step up. And like I said, I didn't see that in the spring game, but I think there are a lot of factors involved there. And you still have some guys that are coming in, still learning the offense, playing in front of that big crowd that you didn't see last season. Uh, and then getting that chemistry right with with Adrian Martinez. And and you're not at full strength. You know, you always have some guys injured because of health, or you may not play some guys because you don't want them to get injured. So I I think Nebraska's going to be fine. I am I am curious to see what the passing attack looks like next season. But I, I think the one benefit that you can talk about is they do have some weapons to stretch the field. Um, and so th- that would be, you know, guys like Xavier Betts and Omar Manning. I think that they can have a big impact for this team. But I just want to see how consistent it is. I think that's the biggest yeah. issue right now has been downfield consistency. And I think that they'll have that as a weapon this year. I, I really do, but you never know. I've thought that for the past couple of seasons. So uh, yeah, that, that's, that's that's a big thing to watch, I know.
2: Nebraska always wins the offseason. Uh, <laughs> whether we're going to convert in the season is, an, is another question. So the West is really, really – evenly matched, maybe one of the more talented divisions in college football, even though we, you know, we don't have necessarily a national title contender. Um, East, not so much, right? I mean, that's pretty, pretty top heavy.
0: Yeah, I would say so. I don't, I don't think, you know, you look at Ohio State and to me, they're far and away the best team right now. Uh, Indiana and Penn State are probably to me, the teams that are number two and three in that division and the only challengers to Ohio State. I don't think Michigan's going to make a big jump. Uh, Michigan State's obviously still in rebuilding mode and and Maryland and and Rutgers just don't have the talent and the depth to be competitive week in, week out. And and I'll say it, like I said, the West, I think that a lot of those teams are capable of making a bowl game this season, but you look at overall contenders and, and again, you look at Penn state, this is a team that also wasn't really on TV. So you have to kind of piece together what you saw and what you heard from spring ball and from a couple of their open spring scrimmages. But to me I think Penn State has the most talent. I think that if there's a team from last season that can make the biggest jump uh, back into relevancy, it's Penn State finishing four and five. You know, remember, this is a team last season that in week one, they lost to Indiana. And then week two, they lose to Ohio State. And all the offseason hype about winning a Big Ten championship, about playing in the college football playoff, that's out the window. So for a couple Mm -hmm. weeks there, I think there was a mentality of what are we really playing for at Penn State? And I think that you saw that especially in that blowout loss to Maryland. I mean, that was an embarrassing performance. And I think anybody on that team would tell you that. That's Penn State should have beaten that team by two or three touchdowns, uh, and they just didn't show up to play. So they had Jahan Dotson's going to be one of the top receivers in the Big Ten next season. Um, obviously, they got a strong running back room. To me, the questions are going to be they had a full offseason to work with Mike Yersich, the new offensive coordinator. So that's a good sign. But you're also having a third offensive coordinator in, in as many seasons. So what does that mean for Sean Clifford? You know, how much cohesiveness is there gonna be on the offensive line? Uh, the, the big question and the big key for Penn State next season is what you know, what does Sean Clifford look like? You know, it's kind of the same thing with Adrian Martinez in Nebraska. A lot of the success mm. for Penn State's gonna hinge on his shoulders. Um, last year at times he didn't look like the guy, but again, you're talking about running a Kirk Shiraka offense where you had no offseason and a very limited fall and summer camp to work with. So I understand it a little bit, but he's got to take a big step up this season. And uh, Indiana it's to me, I I talk about the quarterbacks a lot, but it is the most important position in sports. Sure. And so I think Indiana's biggest, I think they have a chance to be in the big 10 title race, but it all depends on the health of Michael Penix jr. If he's not healthy, Indiana is going to be probably six and six or seven and five. If he is healthy, he's they, they have a chance to be a 10 win team I truly believe that mm. um, it, you watch those final games against Wisconsin and then obviously the Outback Bull Jack Tuttle just isn't the guy um, maybe he got better this offseason I don't know but it, it, to me Michael Penix is a guy who makes a difference of about three to four wins and so that's why I think if, if he's on the field they'll have a chance and they'll compete against Ohio mm-hmm. State and Penn State if he's not uh, you better hope that that Jack Tuttle got a lot better in the off season because it's it's a tough schedule, it's a tough division and you're going to have to win some big games especially early on when you see you you go to Iowa week 1 then you welcome in Cincinnati week 3. So they they've got a tough schedule up front and and if Pennix is healthy they can do some big things this season.
2: Is does Indiana have staying power? Like, it sounds like they're, you know, they don't have the depth to to be elite consistently. Do you think that they're in the midst of a blip, or uh, are they a program on the rise that's not going to fall back?
0: I think it depends on how you define staying power. So I would say yes, because they're in, their recruiting has gotten better. But what I when, when you say recruiting or uh, staying power, to me, for a program like Indiana, we're not talking about Ohio State or Wisconsin, to me, staying power is, can Indiana get to a bowl game four times in five seasons, and can they compete uh, for a big 10 title or a a division title one time every five years. And I think that they can do that with Tom Allen. There, I mean, you look at, you know, they just were able to flip, uh, Desan McCullough from Ohio state, a highly ranked top 50 running back. Um, and obviously his dad being on the coaching staff has a lot to do with that, but of, of the top 10 recruits all time in Indiana's history, since they started keeping track of this, I think back in maybe 1999 or 2000, seven of those have been recruited by Tom Allen. So you're starting to see this influx of talent and they're not getting five star guys, but they're starting to get some really good high three star guys. They're getting some, a a lot more four star guys and they're recruiting the state of Indiana and the state of Florida really well. Uh, So I I think that Indiana does have that staying power. It doesn't mean that I think they're going to be a top three team in the East every year, but I do think that they can consistently win between six and eight games. And then, you know, every couple of years have a, you know, string together like we saw last season, uh, um, you know, what would probably translate to about nine or 10 wins uh, and maybe string a couple of those together. But this isn't a team that's going to continually be in the college football playoff conversation. Uh, It's not going to be a team that is, you know, in the big 10 championship game every single year, but I think that they can be in that conversation every four or five years and consistently be in bowl games. And when you look at Indiana's history, you know, being the losingest program in college football, I don't really know that you can ask for much more than that. I mean, they they should be really happy with where this program is right now. And again, based on what I've seen from the coaching perspective and what I've seen from a recruiting standpoint, I think that they can be a frequent bull visitor, um, you know, for the next decade or so. Is Tom Allen the long-term coach there then? Man, that's a great question. I want to say yes, because I think he's great for the program. He loves the program. Not nobody in their lifetime has ever said Indiana football is a dream job. And he said that on multiple occasions. So I think he's a really good fit. And I don't know that he's the kind of coach that would have success at a lot of other schools. um, Because sometimes fit like Pat Fitzgerald, that Northwestern fit, that's just a perfect fit, right? Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pat Fitzgerald might go to Alabama and he might, you know, have the same results and he's going to be fired. Um, So I don't know. It's interesting because, I think he'll be there for a while, but at the same time, if you start to get some of these big time offers, let's say, I'm just going to throw out names. Let's say you get an offer from, from a program like a Tennessee or a UCLA or, and I'm not saying these would, but those have to be really enticing, especially if he spends enough time at Indiana and he continually produces results. Um, It'll be interesting. I do think he'll be there for, you know, 10 years or so, but, Maybe when he's accomplished all he's accomplished in Indiana, he might look somewhere else. I don't know that he's going to be a Kirk Ferentz type where he sticks around for 25 years. But I'm sure people thought that after Kirk Ferentz won a couple Big Ten titles back in the 2000s, he might look for greener pastures and okay. never did. So it, it's always hard to tell if there is a guy that would stay at Indiana for his entire career. I think it is Tom Allen. But, you know, with money and other opportunities, he, he, may, he may take a chance somewhere down the, down the road.
2: In Indiana is just such a mysterious program to me. Like, I don't know anything about them and they weren't even on our radar really. And then they came in here and won a couple of years ago and they just were really whiny. It like, they, they like made a really distinct impression on this state as being whiny and um, yeah, just kind of left a bad, it, they always leave a bad taste in your mouth when you lose, but um, they're just like a running joke now. And so I guess I should probably pay more attention to them because uh, they seem to be on a roll here, but I just want to dismiss them as, oh yeah, they were really whiny. Whatever. That's
0: yeah, that's, 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 that's how it goes. Right. But I, I loved it um, because the reason I loved it is because Indiana is a program that has never had that ability to kind of shoot their mouth off and back it up. So I think it brought a little fuel to the fire. Like Tom Allen's a guy, he'll do anything to, I'm not going to say he will do anything to win, but he's not afraid to, you know, put up that bulletin more material and, and create a little, add a little fuel to the fire. So whatever he has to do, he's going to do. And to his credit, it works, but I can completely understand why Nebraska is not the biggest fan of Indiana, but maybe it creates a new rivalry. Maybe, maybe we'll get to see a little bit more Nebraska, Indiana, because that was, you know, that was a fun game to watch. Uh, And so the, you always love the, from a reporting standpoint, you always love the theatrics of it. Drama afterwards, but I, I can understand why there's a little animosity between the two fan bases right now. That's, that's for sure.
2: Well, and they, you know, there's some parallels between Indiana basketball and Nebraska football. Certainly, I'm not mm-hmm. the first person to point that out. So there's some, some interest there. And, but anyway, we spent way too much time talking about Indiana. Um, yeah, so who, who's in the Big Ten? I know you've just said you don't know, but who's in the Big Ten championship game to play Ohio State? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be Ohio State and Wisconsin. Uh, I think it's going to be, you know, Wisconsin, every time they have kind of a down year, you look back at that eight and five year in 2018 and they bounce back and they win 10 games and get to the Big Ten championship game in 2019. I think that they dealt with some injuries. They dealt with some issues last season. They've got a really good linebacker core with, you know, led by guys like Jack Sanborn and Noah Burks and uh, Leo Chennault. That's a really good group. You have Scott Nelson back in the secondary. You have Faeon Hicks back in the secondary. Obviously, their offensive and defensive line play is always really good. And like I said, I really think that having Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis back at the wide receiver positions, and then you throw in Jake Ferguson, the tight end. Uh, By the way, grandson of of Barry Alvarez, former uh, athletic director, in case uh, nobody knew that, they mentioned it about eight times every broadcast. Who knew? (laughs) So, you know, I thought I'd throw that into the mix. But I think that gives Graham Mertz more options. I think he'll be a little bit more comfortable as a second-year starter. Uh, And then you got Jalen Berger, who I think is going to be a really good running back. Everybody wants to compare him to, you know, to uh, Jonathan Taylor or to Melvin Gordon. That's really not really fair to that kid because those two were, you know, I want to say generational backs, but they came within five years of each other. So um, he can be a typical... Wisconsin thousand yard rusher. I like what obviously I like what Ohio state has. My biggest questions for them are going to be the secondary uh, losing Sean Wade and, and the way they played in that Alabama game. And, and even the Indiana game last season in Columbus, where they gave up a 10 yeah. yard suit yeah. Uh, and then linebacker position, those four guys, tough Borland, Pete Warner, Justin Hilliard and Baron Browning. I think that they played in, I can't remember what it was like over 150 games or started 150 games, some ridiculous total between the four of them. So you got to replace all four of those guys. So that's a big question mark for the Buckeyes too. But when you look at the overall talent on the roster from the Ohio state standpoint, I just don't think anybody's going to be able to knock them off. And so I think they're back. And then, like I said, I think Wisconsin just flexes its muscle in the big 10 West. They're not going to be, you know, they will be nine and three or 10 and two getting in there. And and we'll see another Ohio state, Wisconsin big 10 title game, which is what we seem to see just about, you know, what two out of every three years anymore.
2: Yeah. So here's my thought on Wisconsin. I don't know if I've said this before, so correct me if you totally disagree, but it feels like in the last two, three, four years, they've had some of their best recruiting classes ever, but have also had maybe not the success that they have gotten used to. Yeah,
0: I think that's fair. Um, I will also, let me, I think you're right. I'm not going to disagree with you on that, but I think that one of the reasons for that is because the Big Ten West has also gotten better. Uh, um, okay. I think that Iowa is, is overlooked as a program because Iowa's a team that gets to eight wins no matter what. Like, um, so that's, that's always a tough consistent. Game. It's always a tough game. Um, Illinois had that, obviously they had that season, the, the 2019 season where they, they shocked Wisconsin and then they beat uh, Michigan state a few weeks later. And Purdue is, has gotten tougher, Nebraska. I think you could put Nebraska in a lot of different divisions, and they would be bowl eligible. Maybe two out of the first three years in Scott Frost's tenure. Oh, um, it's it's just a really difficult division, uh, and and so you look at the way the West typically plays football too. It's all about the line of scrimmage. Uh, it's all about it used to be all about ground and pound and and wear and tear and that sort of thing. Hard nosed football. So I, I think Wisconsin is still kind of that old school. You know, maybe nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties football. And that wears down on people, and that also wears down on them a little bit. So I think that they're still a really good football team. I just think that the competition in the West has gotten a lot better than what it was. And so that's why you don't see maybe 12 and 0, you know, heading into the Big Ten title game or 11 and 1 heading into the Big Ten title game. You're now seeing 9 and 3 or 10 and 2. I think it just has to do with competition. And, and typically, by the way, too, Wisconsin tends to draw in the crossover games, Michigan or Ohio state, or this year they'll play Penn state right out of the gate. So they've also had some tough draws in there, uh, from the big 10 East. So I'm not, I, I don't think you're incorrect in saying that, but I think that there are other reasons outside of Wisconsin because of that.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. And it's a good point. And, um, you know, I think even you talk about how Frost is done in this division. I think he came in, we talked about this on our last episode, actually, he came in and had an idea of what he was going to do and uh, had to learn the hard way that didn't work here. And so he's had to adjust on the fly and start over a little bit. And so hopefully we're starting to reemerge with what, you know, the new frost 2.0 or something. We'll have some more success, but Nebraska fans are, we're ready to see it. We're ready to see it proven on the field.
0: Yeah, and you talk about having the, the opportunity to really do that. I mean, I think that that game against Illinois in week zero is, is arguably the biggest that Scott Frost has ever coached in. Um, that, and that goes back to his UCF days because you talk about a fan base that wants to see results. And Illinois, they have, what, 20 or 21 super seniors returning? So this isn't like you're going up against a, a brand-new Illinois team. This isn't, this isn't Illinois year one under Levy Smith. Um, Brett Bielema wants to win now. He's hit the transfer portal hard. He's gotten some guys that are going to make from the SEC. He's gotten Eddie Smith, defensive back out of Alabama, Prather Hudson out of Georgia, Jafar Armstrong, a wide receiver out of Notre Dame. So you pair that with the fact that he's going to actually use his talented tight ends, Daniel Barker and Luke Ford. You have a third-year starting quarterback in Brandon Peters. You have 21 super seniors coming back. The leading tackler from last season, uh, Jake Hansen. There is a lot of talent on that Illinois team, but I think the perceived idea look when that line opens, Nebraska is going to be favored by six and a half. That's my opinion. So if Nebraska loses that game and they start 0 1, and then you look at the offseason or the, the non conference with Oklahoma, and I know Buffalo is going through a coaching change, but Buffalo was pretty talented last season. Yeah. Then you also, Ohio State and Michigan in crossover games, and then you have to play Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Northwestern in the division. Yeah. It gets really hard to find six wins. So I you that Illinois game, I don't like to label games as a must-win, especially early in the season. But I think things could spiral downward in a hurry if Nebraska doesn't win that first game. And and I'll give Bill Moose a little bit of credit here because I almost you know he wanted a, a home game earlier in the season, but I also believe that he wanted to make that bridge that gap a little bit, saying if we do lose this game, I want our team to be able to bounce back quick against yeah. Fordham, get a win before we head into that Oklahoma game and start playing on the bulk of our um, bulk of our Big Ten uh, season, because it's going to be imp- it's going to be critical. Because you were talking about potentially an zero and two start. I can't remember when that Oklahoma game falls on the schedule. Uh, it's
2: the fourth game.
0: Okay, so you were, you were looking at maybe a, a slower start to the season, but if you were able to get some momentum in that win against Fordham and then Buffalo, you're looking at two and one, and then you're in a better position. So I'll give them credit there because I think that was part of the reason they scheduled that game for September 4th. But again, with the opponents on the schedule, if you don't beat Illinois in week one, it gets really, really tough to find six wins on the schedule. And I know that's not what Nebraska fans want to hear, yeah, you're but giving me sweats, man. I'm just I'm I'm just being honest with you. So well, that's what we happen, like anything can happen, but that's hey, that's what makes college football great, right? Right yep. from the open yep. kickoff, you have a must-win game. Yep. Yeah, we don't
2: you're not on the show to lie to us. So thanks for your honesty. Uh yeah, Brett Beelum. I mean, that was the definite upgrade for Illinois. And uh I was nervous about the game. Now I'm a lot more nervous. So <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Thanks for shooting straight.
0: I, yeah, I, I didn't mean to give you the uh, what are we four months out? The four month out jitters, but um, that, that's I, I didn't think that that was going to be much of a game to start because it looked like a lot of players from Illinois were going to be moving on, or you know, going to the NFL draft, or transferring out, or, or just graduating and moving on. But he was able to re-recruit so many of those players um, that it w- and like I said, they looked a lot better at, at the line of scrimmage in the spring game. So that's. That's what makes that game so intriguing. That's going to be a really, really fun game. And and you're going to have a national audience for it because it's week zero and there's only, yeah. what, two or three college football games at all that weekend. So yep. you get that national platform. Woo.
2: All right. Something to look <laughs> forward to. Well, Dustin, this, uh, this has been a great conversation. Um, like I said, I, feel, I felt a little checked out in the spring. So this has been a great crash course here to get me thinking about the big 10 and the East and the West. And so appreciate your time. And, uh, as, as always want to give you a chance to point our listeners to your, your platforms, where can our, our people consume your content?
0: Yeah. If you go to uh, saturdaytradition.com we have, we, you know, we cover all 14 big 10 teams, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. Um, and right now, obviously with, with football spring season slowing down, we'll, we'll start picking up and looking ahead towards the start of the 2021 season. Um, We just came up with the post spring power rankings and we're working on, uh, you know, predicting every team's starting quarterback in week one. So a lot of fun stuff going on. And then if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at tradition on Twitter, or if you want to follow me, it's at shooty CFB at S C H U T T E C F B on Twitter.
2: And we highly recommend that you do so. Give them a follow. Dustin, it's been a pleasure.
0: Hey, thank you so much. It's always fun. And hopefully we can do it again sometime.
2: Look forward to it. Take care.
0: Thanks
1: Thanks again to Mr. Shudi for joining us on the program. Again, the Saturday Tradition website is simply SaturdayTradition.com, and you can follow them on Twitter at Tradition or follow Dustin directly at CFB. As always, thanks to our sponsors, Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln, Monty's phone number is 402-770-3356, or his email is monty.rohde, that's M-O-N-T-Y dot R-O-H-D-E, at prglincoln.com. Just like last week, we were talking about how you have to prepare for success uh, in sports and in real estate, and I'm reminded of this, this past week I was talking to some of my music students. They have a recital coming up, and I always hammer on, you will perform the way you practice. Same thing for real estate. Same thing for real estate, whether you're looking to buy or sell a home in two weeks or two months or two years, it's never too early to start that conversation, so you can reach out to Monty today. Also, Justin has been in contact with Kendra from Central Nebraska Buffalo, and he found out that this coming weekend, if you're thinking about going to the Farmer's Market in Lincoln, you can totally do that, but Central Nebraska Buffalo will not be there on the 15th. However, on May 22nd and May 29th, so the following two weekends, for sure, they'll be there. So if you're planning to go see them this weekend, uh, maybe pump the brakes on that. You still have plenty of time you'll still have two opportunities on the 22nd and the 29th to stock up and get yourself ready for Memorial Day. All right, that should take care of it for this week. So we'll see you next time on the Husker Pod. On behalf of Justin Swanson, I'm Mike Harvat saying Go Big Red.